love. You love the thing. The thing is love, 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 love. Everything is love. Everything. All you need is love. What? It would help. It would help a whole lot. It's true. It's true. It would help usher in a new era of it's 9.15 a.m. Saturday, March the 5th, 2022. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. He really isn't having a stroke. It's, you know, the with the parts and everything, it's great. The colors, you know, that area right over there? Right there. Yeah. That spot right there, that's always a nice spot. It is a nice spot. Yeah. Things come together nicely over in that area. <laughs> that uh, is. So there's that. And there's other there's other places too. Kind of hang out. I like that area up there. That's good. <laughs> These are the good parts right here. I got myself a cup of coffee here and I'm going to take me a sip. At this time of day because I mean it's different at a different time. Right? Yeah, ham and eggs. It is. Hey, but you know, <clears throat> Diane. Yes. It's been a slow week here in Lake Burbage. Over to you. What's really going on? I thought we would continue our conversation about movies. Yeah, anyway, because, but, I mean, but I mean, what's but, going on? Well. I did a thing. Yes, you did do a thing. I did a thing. I, uh, I took my... my uh, my crippled hands and I went to the Cooth Buzzard open mic on Wednesday night. It's a very well and efficiently run uh, organization over there at the Cooth Buzzard. They've been very I don't want to say strict, but they have but they have been. They've been strict about their masking policy. They got the plexiglass things going on and all that and uh, perhaps disciplined would be the disciplined. Word. There you go. Now there's a word. There's a word. There's a word. And uh, they've been open through most of the the pandemic and, and doing business and uh, and uh, they started the open mic up uh, I don't know a month or two ago or maybe longer ago than that, where you call in to sign up during the week and then and then you go and it's everybody's masked and they only allow I think twelve performers max and you know so it's the performers. And then whoever happens to wander in off the street at, during the thing that if they want to stay, they can get a chair and sit back a ways, and and it's a it's a finely run operation. And I had a call from my buddy Steve Norris uh, this last week, and he was talking about uh, how he'd been going, but then he'd had a I think he had a flare up of his sciatica, which has been an issue for him for like twenty years, and and. Uh, and so he hadn't been going for a couple of months, but he was going to go back. And so I decided to go. And it was great. Miro was there. And you also found out that your your crippled hands might be caused more by carpal tunnel than by what yes, you had feared. What I had feared, which was an MS kind of thing. 
So yeah, so I'm currently wearing braces on my wrists, and I've been wearing those at night, and uh, we shall see what we shall see. I keep working at it, and I'm looking for a new physical therapist, and uh, all kinds of things are shifting, and you know, things like that. But that's the thing I did. I am currently working on, well, today I'm going to be working on the layout. I've worked on it a little bit last night for the uh, Ancient Victories publication. Mm-hmm. I have already told everyone who is, has any interest in this that the article I wrote was about Sandy Bradley and the Small Wonders, and we played their music a little while ago. Yeah. And um, Chris told me he wanted it to be the cover feature, so it's even more Ooh. on display yeah. than before. Cool. Which is great because the cover of their album is so splendid yeah. that I just thought, oh, that's going to make a lovely cover for the, for the magazine, for the newsletter. That's yeah. not exactly magazine. magazine. Okay, whatever. Jeez. Lighten the heck up. It's a good article, Diane. Deserves to be the cover feature. And I, I'm just going to make one comment about current events, even though we usually don't do that. Okay. Um, mostly because I was reading a story this morning that was so... Uh, I, I'm trying to even think of what it does for me. It's inspiring. It's inspiring to read about how the Ukrainians have worked together through this whole thing. And it really makes me think about the collective problems we have as a world and how we all need to learn to work together on those rather than these geopolitical issues. But they were inspiring. I, I was just reading these. I just think these people are, are, are people to look to about how to, to pull together when some horrible thing happens in the world. That is all I'm going to say. I just was so appreciative about reading what they're doing. And I thought they are examples for us all. Okay. At least the people I was reading about. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. All right then. And then I was also thinking about the power of story. You know, the, uh, and that's why I thought we would still continue on our, our, conversations about film because you know a lot of times you can say that film or literature or poetry or songs that they are frivolous in in the grand scheme you could say that that's not doing something powerful and i would disagree entirely i think the world is made up of stories and you're actually aligning yourself with stories, even by what you are uh, thinking about. You're aligning yourself with a story about a collective of people who work together. You're aligning yourself with a story that is telling you something about the world that you live in. And... I just wanted to say that because I've really thought a lot about, well, isn't it rather frivolous to talk about what movies we like, what stories we like, what poetry we like? No, I don't think it is frivolous no. because I think it's a, a way to be saying this is the story 
that I align with. This is what I see in the world. Yeah. There are lots of ways you can see the world. And um, I just, I always think about um, seeing the world as a battle or as a gift, you know, that the whole idea of being able to, to focus your attention on certain things, focus your attention on the inspirational and things that pull you up versus those that pull you down. And a lot of the movies that I have always loved have that theme of somebody struggling with that. Um, interestingly, uh, the music, I'm going to kind of state the music early because the music we chose, we were thinking we were talking about movies and I thought about soundtracks. There are so many soundtracks that I love. But one of the ones that I really love is from a movie that might be a little obscure called Miss Potter. I don't know whether it's obscure or not. Yeah. Um, but it's a movie about Beatrix Potter. And the interesting thing about that movie is it shows a woman who is going through really hard times and, and actually falls into depression. It's based on Beatrix Potter's real life but then comes out of that with the sort of artistic wonders that she has created over uh, over her lifetime and things that she did for her community um basically conserving a, a area of england uh the lakes district right. that she loved and it just is powerful now, this is the story of one woman's life. Kind of an eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, I think most artists are eccentrics to some degree. I do. <laughs> well, because you're eccentric if you, you pursue your way of looking at the world versus the tried and true trodden path of the society that they've laid out for you. And you say, wait a minute, really? <laughs> so you're eccentric, right? I guess. I don't see any other way to look at the world except through your own eyes. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. But in that view, we're all sort of right, eccentric. Right, but I mean, society is all about joining up into one, you know, school of thought or another. Anyway, I just find it so fascinating to watch watch that arc of life because I think we're always going through that arc that tendency to fall into despair and then realizing that despair does nothing and that you must lift yourself out with whatever aspect of life enchants you the most and bring that enchantment in the world through you so Anyway, I just, I really love, uh, I love the idea that we are a part of a story. It is part of our, our uh, challenge in life in general, not to let the, the despairing times pull us down to be beaten, you know. Mm -hmm. I feel like that, and that was one of the reasons why that story this morning inspired me so much that kind of 
hey, I'm not going to be beaten by this. I, I feel like, wow, that is the kind of inspiration that we need. Right. But anyway, um, we last week we talked about what films we found scary and the first film we ever saw. Those were the... the uh, and I think we also talked a little bit about which films we most related to. But um, there were other questions in there that we didn't get to because we thought we would save them for <laughs> for more. Did we? Did yeah, we think that? We oh. did. Oh. Well, because it's endless. I mean, when we were talking with our Westminster basement friends, we talked about movies for three hours and it didn't cover as much as i mean we could have gone on is basically what i'm saying right. if we didn't look at the clocks and thought oh my god we've got, we've got other things that we need to do yeah. and also i have continued to talk with my brother about these things too because it's not only just what uh what you feel but the responses it brings up and other people actually making you think oh yeah that's amazing um i hadn't thought about that particular thing and i also wanted to say that i really appreciated that mark kenny wrote an amazing comment on our last uh, our last show because as I had mentioned, I, I love having the conversation with people who listen. And he actually talked about a movie that I have never heard of. Hmm. Oh, well, no, I, I have heard of it. I've never watched it. Uzala, uh, now I have to look with the Dursu Uzala, a film by Akira Kurosawa. And I'm sorry, Mark, if I'm just butchering these names, but uh, I am not familiar with them. I think I've heard of this film before, though. Well, I've heard of Kurosawa. He did the Seven Samurai and all those kind of things, right? Right, and he and Mark said that he's definitely a uh, filmmaker that we should check into. Uh -huh. And so I love that. Even talking about movies, you get different ideas for watching something. So the one of the questions in this is, what was the film that made you cry the most? Oh, are you talking to me? I am talking oh, to you. I would say It's a Wonderful Life. Wow. Yeah, I cry a lot during It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Especially because... Um, I start crying when that when <laughs> when they are just starting the movie now, yeah. uh, when they say that uh, that they're sending the angel down and he says, "What's wrong?" and he said, uh, uh, "Is he sick?" No, he's discouraged. That gets me every time. Yeah. Yep, it's a film that I know so well. I know exactly where the cue points are, but it it works every time. <laughs> Me too. So I think there's something that that movie's got a a special uh, place in the culture. I think it definitely does for me. I was even saying because it's one of the films I've watched the most in my life, and right. I was talking about it with my brother, and I said, you know, uh, for me, I think that it has been one of the films. There are a couple of 
Christmas films that I have watched, It's a Wonderful Life and it and The Bishop's Wife, right. that have actually influenced my life because I've seen them since I was a kid and yeah. there are aspects of those that that made me feel like that's the way I you know speaking of aligning yourself with a movie that's um, I think I aligned myself that's the magic of the holidays kind of encapsulated and I think part of the reason that I react emotionally to it is because I've been watching it my whole life yeah so it it harkens back in my life it's attached itself to me at such a young age that uh, that it's uh, it's got its own personal emotional uh, freight that it brings forward when I watch it too so yeah well and I think that I don't think that I cried when I was a child at uh, the idea of someone being discouraged being discouraged is worse than being sick you know but when I was an adult and started watching the high witches oh my god (laughs) yes yes being discouraged is being worse than being sick and um, and in the bishop's wife, in the in the bishop's wife, the scene that really affected me that I took into my life and folded into my patterns of being is when an angel is walking amongst the the city, and people don't know he's an angel. He's he looks like a man, and he's uh, just helping in small ways, and then. There's this one scene where he is helping a blind man cross the street. And the blind man says, thank you, this is so kind of you. And uh, the angel says, it's a privilege. And I get all emotional just even thinking of that. But uh, I've always thought that that's true, that being able to help somebody is a privilege. And so I even incorporated it into my speech patterns when somebody would say, you know, thank you for this. I'd always say it's a privilege or it's an honor is another thing I've said. But that is not just a knee-jerk reaction, but a way for me to, in my head, think, remember, it's an honor to be in this place of giving. Mm -hmm. That it's not just kindness on your part. It's an honor to do it so but the movie that I chose for the one I cried the most at was uh, Gallipoli oh yeah and the reason why I chose it at the time was because I remember when I saw that movie that I didn't just weep like when when I'm watching It's a Wonderful Life I weep you know it's like I'm teary-eyed or just get choked up but when I was watching Gallipoli I cried I mean I cried almost like ugly crying that kind (laughs) that you're just going (laughs) you know at the very end of the the film ugly crying (laughs) that you're actually rasping and you know getting all snotty yeah And not only did I cry, because it was at the end of the film, yeah. which is the dramatic point, and the the way that they ended that film was astonishing. Yeah. But I, I wept for, I would say, an hour afterwards. At, you know, 
crying at various moments when I would be thinking of the film. And I thought that uh, it was a Peter Weir, Weir film. I actually, my brother was quite a, I shouldn't say was, is quite a movie buff. And he would take me to see films that I might not have seen otherwise. And uh, he became a Peter Weir fan with Picnic at Hanging Rock. Mm. So we had already seen uh, Peter Weir. But when we saw that one, I was just wrecked. And I was thinking how amazing it was that a story, the direction of that story, the acting of that story, by relatively unknown actors at that time. I don't think maybe they were known in their in their conch in their countries but mel gibson was in that movie and he be, went on to be famous i don't know about the other actors in that i didn't know any of them at the time right. and the way that they they speaking of entering a story that they made you enter that story and feel for those characters i i felt like i lost my best friend yeah, my best friends. When I watched that movie, I that's why I cried so deeply because there was something about it that was so powerfully written and directed and acted that I really felt like I watched something real and uh, and it was based on a true story, so that affected it yeah. the worst too. Yeah. But but anyway. Yes. There's different kinds of crying too in films because uh, just as I mentioned, I have, I have times where I, I cry, uh, like this, that it's almost like you feel like you've experienced a loss, right. and there are other times that I cry, uh, just because. I'm so enchanted by that world and so moved by what happens. It's pretty amazing when I think about how films do bring about tears in me very frequently um, and for different purposes. And it's interesting because listening to the, the films that make other people cry, um, like Bill Woolham and Bridget both had mentioned, uh, Bill Woolham said it was either The Yearling or Old Yeller. And and I was talking about my brother yesterday because I was telling him, you know, it kind of gets you started in these conversations with people. Right, right. And he said, you know, I don't even remember Old Yeller because I said I didn't remember it. He said, but what I do remember is that after I saw it, I never wanted to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking, and maybe that's why, mm. you know, but both of those films are about, uh, I remember reading The Yearling. I don't remember seeing it. Yeah. And I may have avoided it because the way the book affected me would even be harder to watch in film. But, um, but Anytime you have things about animals, I think that is also something that causes great uh, emotional rapport, you know. Right. My brother's, the film that made him cry the most was Carousel. Oh. 
And that is, I, I think that that is also for, from freight that uh, can be carried into that film. Because it doesn't, it doesn't strike me the same way, but it's got a lot of, I think a lot more themes that might be moving for a, a man in life. About the choices that one makes, and the um, I, I don't know. I can't even bring that movie to mind right now. So. It's a musical. Yeah, I know it. Is. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, it's very interesting mm. around that. Maybe we need to watch that. And one of the questions was, "What film is terrible but you love it?" I had a hard time with that question. Did I answer that before? You did. You said Frankenstein conquers the world. Oh, yeah. Frankenstein conquers the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It's a, it was an uh, Asian film from the 1950s in which uh, Frankenstein's brain is housed in this place. and There's an earthquake, and the, the jar falls off the shelf, breaks. Frankenstein grows from the brain. Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. Now, at the time, you have to understand... You, boy. I was a young person. And it was good coffee. It was a different era. But a Japanese Frankenstein, just I just thought it was just so funny. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I don't remember much more about the plot of the movie except that there's some kind of monster that rises out of the earth from the earthquake or something and Frankenstein ends up battling the monster or something. I don't know if Frankenstein keeps growing bigger or what. I, you know, I don't know. But I just remember this kind of crouching, kind of jerky movement, Frankenstein going, ooh, 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 making grunting noises like that. At the time, it just seemed like, it was one of those, you know, you're up at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, whatever and, and uh, you know, it just—it's on the late, 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 and you know, so late it's early show, uh, you know, on TV, and it was just like, oh my god, you know. And yet you loved it. Well, <laughs> I, you know, it was one of those movies that I just I has always stuck in my mind as being a ridiculous premise, a ridiculous execution, and it was just, you couldn't take your eyes off it. <laughs> it was just like that. What was yours? Well, I chose Foul Play with huh. Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn because it, it's sort of a, I don't know, sort of a stupid, silly movie. But I don't know if it's terrible. I, But I actually just love that movie. And I read later that it's actually based on a Hitchcock film. It's a, a send-up of a Hitchcock film. But hmm. I just find it so so fun and uh, I don't know yeah. I just I remember liking it when I saw it and I wanted to see it again and I saw it again just a couple of months ago and I thought I still love this it's so uh, it's so of its time you know but uh, it had a lot of interesting themes going on but I also just liked seeing Burgess Meredith in that film and um, it was kind of a, a silly interesting plot 
and Dudley Moore. <laughs> Just silly, silly stuff. But anyway, but sort of terrible. And I, I was trying to think, did I write down what the other people thought was terrible? I don't know that I did. And my brother's one, I, I don't know the, the film that he had, which was Manos, The Hands of Fate. And I have no idea what that film is. No. And then the last question we'll deal with today is, what is the film you once loved, but watching it now makes you realize it's terrible? Did I have an answer for that? I don't think you did. No. But um, I'll give you my brother's first because he, his was the first, even before I answered the question, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Mm. I thought, wow, that's a good one. Oh, yeah, the one that I chose. Oh, yeah, and I do feel this way. It's gone with the wind. Oh yeah. You know when I was when I watched it when I was young, I just loved that film. That was another film that made me cry too when I was uh, in my junior high years, which is when I think I saw it. But then when I saw it as an adult, and that was the interesting thing about that film, it wasn't just that it is representing something. You know, kind of like learning afterwards that they were trying to make the lost cause palatable through that book and through the movie but uh, that kind of concept that they were trying to present into the mainstream but but also I found it really boring when I watched it as an adult which was fascinating to me I was like wow I've come a long way in what I expect to see it almost seemed uh, melodramatic to me, uh, in uh, more like a soap opera than uh, a story that I really followed. Yeah. So I guess um, the one I picked was Manhattan. Oh, that is that is the one you. Yeah. Because uh, the freight that that is now carrying. Right. I just love the. I remember loving the cinematography in that movie, especially. You know, there was a, you know, Annie Hall won all the Oscars and stuff like that. But I thought the Manhattan was a better movie than Annie Hall and when I was younger. Now I have a hard time watching it. So. Yeah, and it was interesting. Uh, Bridget brought up, like, Pretty Woman, that mm. she really had loved that, but now thinks it's terrible. I, I think that that's interesting how you're what are you saying is terrible? And I think for a lot of us, what is terrible is the message that it was right. bringing to... Um, and it's representative of a different era in our history and collective right. history and and something that we can be kind of collectively embarrassed about now. And, yeah. You know, so. Well, even when we watch things that I absolutely love, there will sometimes be a reference that you just go, ouch, man. Yeah. Uh, that that was what you... That used to go right by. That used to go right by because yeah. that was what the yeah. the, the situation zeit, was the at the time. The was different at that time. Yeah. It's interesting to think about those things. Yeah, there was this, this movie that my brother and I really liked when we were kids, just that was on TV um, with James Coburn playing kind of a James Bond character. Um I think it was in like Flynn or yeah. something like that. Yeah. 
Um, and it's so interesting to think back on that because there's this whole uprising of women against men and, and how they were trying to brainwash women through the hair dryers and Stepford wives. Um, yeah, I just feel like, but they were saying something in that film like, well, no woman could outdo a guy, you know, in the end. And also the, um, that if I'm, if I'm right about that, Flynn or whatever, that he was always so charming, just like James Bond, that he right. would overcome yeah, any woman's that. defenses. I, I think there was, might know? have been a couple of Flynn that James yeah. Coleman did. Yeah. But we liked them when we were kids, and now I just feel like, eee! <laughs> the, yeah. the messages that were in those films were... Or, yeah. or for me, even the James Bond, I never liked James Bond films, and I think it was partially because I hated that, that feeling like the, the women were yeah. always... Just putty in his hands. Yeah. yeah. And also... I think the later James Bond films are, don't, don't do that as much. Okay. But, uh, yeah. I, I, it just offended me on some level. <laughs> yeah, and I don't remember that. I've read a lot of the books. I don't remember there being that kind of... But there might have been. I don't know. It was, I was a kid when I read the books. So. Well, but also the sort of the, the concept of that the woman is always beautiful and brainy and, you know, some uh, amazing job. And yet they will will always be yeah. overcome by James Bond. Yeah. Because, you know, women are just like that. Yes, women are just like that. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, that's that's the the number of questions I thought we'd go through today. Cool. Cool. And the music? Well, we... As we had already mentioned, we're going to do um, a soundtrack music from Miss Potter. Who, and who wrote the soundtrack to that? Nigel Westlake, who is an Australian composer and actually did not do a lot of soundtracks, but oh man, he really hit the mark for me with this one. Yeah. And a lot of times I think that for me, I think I can always determine whether a movie is going to be a good movie by the first entrance of the soundtrack. Because if it's got a really cheesy soundtrack, a lot of times I'm thinking, okay, this is not going to be that great. Yeah. Or the only way that the movie is amplified emotionally is through the music. Right. Yeah. But when you hear a really beautiful soundtrack it's almost like the enchantment has already begun for me. I feel like it's part of the incantation into the the film and the emotional um, the emotional journey you're going to be on is starting off just with the music. And there are a couple of films that I thought had very magical sounding soundtracks. And uh, they are all regarding almost a, a children's, uh, because Miss Potter is about a woman who illustrated and wrote children's books. Right. 
And another soundtrack that I just think is amazing is the one for the live version of Peter Pan, which is just a gorgeous soundtrack too. And I just feel like there's a, an innocence about a lot of that music and a little hints of fairy dust in mm. the way that they uh, are having the harps coming in or chimes or something that really uh, creates a magical feeling. And I feel like Miss Potter is one of those soundtracks. Mm. 